Hi, and welcome to our podcast called Asking Better Questions. My name is John Newsham. And I am Shane Chan. We're just two friends encouraging one another to seek God more. We want to ask the best questions that we can. That's not a goal, it's a journey. The purpose of the journey is to learn and grow in God and to know Him better. We would also love to take you on that journey with us as you listen to us. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. We can't promise that we'll be able to answer them, but we'll try to have a conversation about them. You can send them to us at askingbetterquestionspodcast at gmail.com. So, Pastor John, have you been uh, reading a recent book recently that you'd like to share about? Uh, yeah, I've been reading uh, the C.S. Lewis book called Mere Christianity, where he goes through, from not from a scriptural point of view, but from a philosophical point of view, why he believes uh, firstly in a God, but then also in the God of Christianity and in the claims of Jesus. And uh, I, it's you know very philosophical and, and deep in the way it talks about things. And uh, I remember reading it years and years ago, and uh, just got it back out again recently and had another go at it. That's amazing. So what about yourself, Shane? Have you been reading anything recently? Yeah, so I've been reading a book on Azusa Street Revival. And yeah, in that book, it just, uh, I haven't finished reading it at, at this stage, but it constantly like blows my mind about everything that um, happened and how it all came together. And this revival and the part, we are part of this Pentecostal movement that has been born out of, uh, this very revival and it's just amazing to hear the stories of what went on there and just the hunger of people and how God moved um, in their time uh, in those days and I'm just like it just every time I read a chapter of that book or just even a little bit of that book it just stares up inside me this hunger that man I want to see it happen in my day I want to see it happen right now like is this one of those books? And I encourage you to go and find stories about the Azusa Street Revival and read it for yourself. And there's some YouTube videos out there as well, documentaries on this uh, revival that happened that I guarantee you will blow your mind and um, put that hunger in you to desire the things of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, now uh, you said at the start there that you started reading. You haven't finished this book yet? No, I haven't finished reading this book yet, as I mentioned. So I don't want to ruin the ending for you, so I'm a bit cautious, but the question we've got today, I think, probably comes from the second half of the book. Yes, I'm very well aware of um, everything that happened with Azusa Street Revival. Um, so there's nothing you can spoil for me, but you can probably spoil for our listeners, okay. whoever is probably trying to listen. So we'll just put a big spoiler this. alert at the front of this. But before we get to the question for the day, uh, we're going to go to our first segment, which is called Random Scripture. This is where we flip the Bible to a random page and read a few verses that catch our eye on that page. Then we'll have a discussion about that verse and let the discussion take on a life of its own. Yeah, so I believe, Pastor John, it's your turn today to flip to a random scripture. Hopefully this time around you actually pick something that um, it's great and not something that we can't even talk about. <laughs> so today I'm going to deliberately <laughs> flip close to the back of the book and we'll see how we go with that. We have Revelation chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow, that's a very famous scripture. Yep. And 
I believe I quote that a lot, actually. Yeah. And it's one of those uh, scriptures that I believe pastors definitely love to use uh, with their congregation or anyone they meet. It's like either you are full on for God or you are not. You know, don't be someone who's in the middle or who is religious in a way. So I believe like this um, scripture is probably one of the most used ones. And I I know, Pastor John, you have used it many times as well, even in our conversations um, that um, this scripture has come up. And yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's right. I, I actually quite like this one. This was one of the early scriptures that God actually spoke to me through. Um, I, I could name a couple that came before this one, but this was fairly early on in my uh, deliberate attempt to journey with God. Um, and uh, I remember just the, the whole concept. Uh, it goes later on uh, to talk in you know, each of these letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, it gives them some form of a, a rebuke and then also a suggestion of what they need to do about it. And in this one, it talks about being earnest and repent in the New International Version. And in other translations, it uses the word zealous. And the concept of that, when I first saw it, didn't sound very Christian. And the, the word zealous itself. And it has this, uh, this idea behind it of not just passion, but it's got this jealousy attached to it. And it, it's... The, the word picture is to do with the way that a cheated lover would respond to the person who had, uh, who had stolen their partner. And so, for example, if, if a man found out that his wife uh, was having an affair, when he went to confront that other man, that's the word picture here in this word zealous. And so when it talks about then being hot or cold, that's the level of passion that it's talking about for hot. And so... Uh, you know, that was fairly confronting to me. And I, at that stage in my life, couldn't say that I'd ever really felt that level of passion about anything. And and so when, when I felt that God was showing me that in my heart that I needed to change in that area, uh, not just for the, the church in Laodicea, but also for me as an individual, uh, I, I actually found that rather confronting. And it sort of took a bit of a, a long journey with God to try to work that one out a little bit. Yeah, and... I think it's similar for me as well, like just reading that um, and actually I sort of had to realize that not just then, but sometimes still now I can actually find myself in a spot where I'm not all that jealous for uh, things and I have to sort of stop and look at myself again. It's like, wait, what has changed um, in the past few weeks or past few months? Why am I... Um, somewhere in between why am i not really zealous for things and i always um find myself there and it's always about going back to god seeking his face and spending time with him to actually saying okay god no matter how, who you are in this world you will find times or seasons in life where um that that passion just runs out and you have to really push into um God and to get that passion back for some of the things that you might have had passion for a few years back, but now that has changed. So, um, or, or circumstances, situation might have come up that has discouraged you. And, and that those are some things, you know, disappointment or offense, things like that, that could affect, um, 
your passion for things and and it it will quench your fire so it's it's really important that we continually seek god for that passion um for the things that god has for us yeah that's right uh and within the context of this it's talking about other things that uh have seemingly come before that passionate relationship with god and if we look at the picture of marriage which god gave us the picture of marriage to uh help us to understand what relationship with him was supposed to be like when you look at marriage it's easy for marriages to do the same thing that especially in in the western culture where we have the the whole dynamic of the relationship is that you find someone and you start interest and you start that relationship and you you get to know each other and then you get married and that process that we describe in our culture is the process of falling in love and then we have this assumption that love will get us through whatever comes next and so we have what we define as a dating relationship where we'll go out for dinner or we'll watch movies or we'll do activities together that we're both interested in and then when we get married we want to settle down and become normal and consistent and so we don't have we don't just go out as a couple for dinner especially when kids come along and other responsibilities come on and we have all of these other things that we focus on and we don't spend that intimate time just developing the relationship and then as a result of that love starts to grow cold and or it cools down and so you might be married for 10 years and it's not that you don't like or, or it's not that you hate the person that you're married to it's just that there's nothing exciting about coming home to them and so the idea then is we actually have to do things to create that fire again we have to actually do things together intentionally to reignite that fire and so this is the problem that we have with god as well there's the same picture that you know i've been now a christian for almost 40 years and most of the things that we normally do in christianity are normal that just they're just second nature and so what do i have to do then to stir up passion uh for my creative passion for my my lover in this sense that Jesus and I are supposed to be desperately in love. And going to church is fantastic. Reading the Bible is fantastic. Praying is fantastic. But if all of those just become jobs I do, because that's what Christians do, then I'm going to become lukewarm very quickly. I actually need to find in those things, how do we meet each other? How do we spend that time stirring up that passion, stirring up those desires for each other so that I actually... When I think about reading the scripture, something ignites inside of me that says, I'm going to meet Jesus again. When I think about prayer, something ignites inside of me that says, this is an opportunity to spend time with Jesus. When I go to church, it's not about, oh, that person's going to park in my spot again, or that person's going to take my seat, or that person's going to annoy me with this story. But this is another opportunity together as a group to meet with Jesus and to have that excitement and that passion stir up inside of us. And I know that... When we talk about that in theory, it's easy to agree with that. But when we talk about it specifically, if I talk about it for me, what is it that I need to do to stir up that level of excitement inside of me to actually have that zeal, that passion, that heat in my relationship with God? Wow, that's amazing. Um, speaking of marriages, we had a listener complain uh, who shall remain nameless. So Cherry Lee Newsham asked, 
Uh, are you going to introduce your family, Pastor John? I, I'm very, very proud of my family. I have an amazing wife and uh, we've been married for 18 years. Just to clarify that that story about being married for 10 years wasn't about me and my wife uh, having a struggle in our marriage. That's a hypothetical. <laughs> uh, we've been married for 18 years, coming up on 19 uh, next month. And uh, three wonderful kids have Azaria, Gabriel and Grace. And they are fantastic kids. One of them just became a teenager last week. And uh, and I understand that the person who may or may not have put in this complaint knows those things. Uh, but yet maybe I have neglected to mention them on the podcast. And uh, for that, I apologize. But nevertheless, they're fantastic. Oh, awesome job. So the question we have today, uh, and I'm going to word it two different ways because... Uh, I think when we, it's the same question essentially, but if we ask it using the two different phrases, we actually get a quite a different view when we think about it. And so the first way I'm going to word the question is, can God use me? And the second way that I'm going to use, uh, ask the question is who can God use? So can God use that person? Can God use so-and-so? And uh, I'm sure that uh, if we allow the, the wording of that question to broaden even further we can all think of times where we've asked that question and uh, whether God can use that particular person whether he should or whether he shouldn't and uh, so how about we jump into it Shane? Well the simple answer is God can use everyone sorry for the spoiler alert Um, (laughs) you can probably stop the podcast right here and and now if you've got your answer but we're going to go further and deeper into this and if I can just uh, interrupt there for an equally simple but no less controversial answer. Uh, no one's qualified to be used by God according to his standards. Yes. So that's the dilemma, is that God can use anyone, but no one is qualified. Yes, that's right. And, you know, God created us, right, in our, in his own image. Yep. And obviously he, he put us in this place uh, and he had a purpose and plan for each one of our life. And to say that, okay, wait, so God does have something for me. And no matter who you are out there, God has a strategic plan for your life. He wants you to succeed in your life. He wants the best for you because we serve a good God. And so God has amazing plans for us, right? Yeah. And For some people, it might not look so amazing because you might be doing something. It's like, why am I here? Why am I in this situation? But it could be God's plan for your life. So God does have a plan for your life. Now, people usually struggle finding out what that plan is. And for me, it it took many years to figure out what God actually planned for my life. And so the struggle was, okay, God, what is it that you're going to use me for? Because clearly I'm in this world. I it's 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 one of the most painful painful things to not know what you what on earth are you doing here. And you could be doing many different things, but there is no fulfillment in life because you just you're always as a person wanting more, seeking for more. Because as people, somehow we are never satisfied. Um, you look at people who are the richest of the rich. They still want to go to that 
uh, level further because they are not satisfied with where they're at. So God has a purpose and plan for our lives where he takes us from glory to glory. And, and it's important that we recognize that, that he does have a plan and he wants to use you. And, and then the second part of it is, yes, he can use anyone. He can use everyone, no matter who you are. So I'm going to let Pastor John talk a little bit more about that. So if, if we just dig right into that and uh, talk about the pain and the struggle that you had when you were trying to work out what on earth you were here for, and if you could yeah. share that with us at some stage, that would give us all some great relief to know that you're here for a purpose. Um, but, <laughs> yes. uh, but I remember being there with you on uh, a large chunk of that journey and from my perspective, one of the greatest obstacles to you discovering what it is that you're supposed to do was that inside of you, you had this understanding, this knowledge, this uh, assurance that you certainly were not good enough to be doing the sorts of things that God seemed to be calling you towards. Yes, uh, that's it. Like for, for me, my big struggle was talking. I never talked. And I struggle with talking. So like for me to even like do this uh, podcast and talk and talk a lot, um, it's something I never imagined doing because I know who I was and where I was at. When God called me that I need to be preaching, I was like, that requires talking. I don't like talking. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I didn't really know how to have a conversation or how to speak in a way. But in that, while I was struggling with it, I, I saw myself like, I am not good. I don't have the qualities that I see in other people. Other people are more um, sort of on fire or maybe they talk a lot more than me. And God started to walk through me in the journey and to show me that he's giving me something that I thought um, was impossible for me. He's he's putting it in there so that he can show me to rely on him and only him. And he can make that possible. Even though for me it seemed impossible, he can make it possible for me if I relied on him. So when I look at my speaking ability, uh, you might think it's pretty bad at the moment, <laughs> but it was worse. But I can only look back and say, this was God. This wasn't me. God actually trained me up to speak and that was that was the biggest struggle like um i know when um i felt like god called me into ministry i knew there was going to be a lot of talking involved and talking to many different people because if you're in ministry you can't just stay silent you have to build relationship with people you you need to always be in conversations and in meetings where you just need to talk and i i found that to be really challenging and god helped me through that um, I remember Pastor John, like uh, we were uh, going on car trips and you talked a lot. <laughs> and and if you if there's something you know about Pastor John is that he talks a lot and he loves talking a lot. And so I was comfortable with him because I knew I, I can't even get a word in and I don't want to get a word in. And so... I didn't have a struggle. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, I could be really good friends with this person because I don't have to talk to him at all. Um, he just likes to talk. And I was a very good listener. 
And but when God started to walk on my life and I started to talk, I I really remember one one night we were coming, we were driving back from a a, a church, and I remember during that car trip, I I found myself the person who talked the most in the car. I don't know if you remember that, Pastor John. Uh, I don't remember that one specifically, but it's, it's interesting yeah. because I actually went on a fairly similar journey myself. And so uh, when I go back into my late teens, I was one of the quieter people. And if I did say something, it was from the back of the group to the person next to me quietly, and it was some sort of a joke. And that's really all I said. And And God was starting to do a similar journey to what you've described in your life with me. And so when I came to uh, pastor in that church that you were talking about where we used to go for those long drives, and there was another guy who used to come with me on the trips, and he used to just ask a question, and he could get one or two, maybe two and a half questions, and they were just such well-worded questions that I could talk for an hour and a half on that trip answering his questions. And then you sort of qualified into that same group, and you know you became one of the people that was asking those questions. And again, as you say, it, it was actually the fact that you didn't want to speak was actually one of the reasons why you asked such good questions. And you wanted to listen and you wanted someone else to do the talking. Uh, I remember uh, being in the car with one of your sister-in-laws, uh, well, two of your, your wife and one of your sister-in-laws. And yeah. your wife was asking me questions. Uh, I don't think you were married yet at that stage. She was asking me questions. Uh, on the way from one place to another, which was about an hour's trip. And your sister-in-law said at the end of the trip, I can't believe you guys talked for that entire time. There wasn't one moment on that trip where you weren't talking. And <laughs> when I was you know, half the age I am now, I was more than happy to sit there for an hour with you know, only a couple of words spoken and certainly none of them being mine. I was quite happy. And God took me on a similar journey of actually saying, I want you to be the one that speaks. I want you to be the one that puts your voice forward. I want you to be one uh, who preaches. And the dynamic of that in my mind was just so bizarre because I was the guy that when I took my uh, the test, the vocational test to say, what should you do with your life? Uh, the answer came up, don't do anything which requires you being in front of people or speaking. And then God says, actually, I want you to be up on the stage preaching. And it just, it, it blows my mind that as I look back on it, that's exactly what he's done with my life. He's put me into positions where that happens. And the same scenario that you've described is almost like me reliving it again because I lived it once and then I watched you and a couple of other people go on the almost identical journey to what I'd been through where God was drawing us out and saying, I want to use your voice. And so, you know, if I just go back to the Bible for a moment, there's another character who didn't speak, who then God said, I want you to speak. And we often refer to him in this sort of context is Balaam's donkey. Balaam's <laughs> donkey had no ability to speak, which is how you've described yourself. Uh, and there was a moment where <laughs> God actually used the donkey to speak to the prophet because the prophet wouldn't listen. And you know, in that scenario, God could have come to a prophet and said, I'm going to use the prophet. He's the one that's qualified. He's the one that's experienced. He's the one that's skilled. But no, instead, I'm not only am I going to use something that can't speak, an animal, but I'm going to use an unclean animal. 
A donkey fits into the category of the unclean. And so the idea of a donkey being used to speak to a Jewish prophet is absolutely absurd. And I know some people will read the story and say, obviously, it's made up. I happen to believe the Bible. And so the fact that this absurd story is in there, I've got no issue with saying I believe in the miraculous. I've seen God do miraculous things where they were absolutely impossible, and yet he did them. I've witnessed it in my life. So I have no problem uh, looking at this story and saying it probably happened the way it was described. And here this unclean animal is used by God to speak to the prophet. You know, that concept, you know, not necessarily those details, but that concept is used throughout the scripture. If we look uh, at a similar time frame, we've got the harlot Rahab in the city of Jericho. God uses this Gentile who has no business knowing what it is to be a follower of God and who is not in a profession that has any respect linked with it at all. She is used by God to tell the Jewish spies what God can do. And they come in the second time into Jericho as spies. The first time they went out saying, we can't do this, it's impossible. And the second time, we don't know what their mindset was, but God sets them up with this harlot Rahab, who is able to tell them, your God is actually going to do what he promised he's going to do. She hasn't heard the promises. She hasn't been part of the plan, but God uses her to speak to the Jews. Another one uh, is the pattern that God uses throughout the Old Testament of God choosing the second born or different variations of that story where it's clear from culture and it seems to be in scripture that the firstborn has the blessing. And yet when God comes in, he seems to consistently choose the second born child. Now that uh, is a picture pointing forward to the fact that he's going to choose Jesus, who is the second man uh, after Adam. And, and so God rejected Adam and chose Jesus because Jesus was righteous. So there's that picture pointing forward, but regularly God chose. So we look at, uh, we look at Jacob, we look at Joseph, we look at a whole lot of people all the way through scriptures where God chooses the one that other people would have rejected. We go, we go to David, who wasn't the firstborn child and wasn't the one who you should have chosen to be king. This, even the prophet came in and looked at all of David's brothers and said, one of these surely is going to be king. These people look like they could be king. And God says, no, I don't look the way people look. I look at the heart. And, right. and so we have David who had done nothing really that would qualify him for any secular group to say this person should be king. He was the least person out of the ones that should have been chosen, but yet God chose him. And so God has this pattern where he actually deliberately chooses the least qualified. Now, even if he does choose someone that is qualified, he often chooses them to do something where they're not qualified. And so you have the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he would have been the person that you would have chosen if you wanted to teach Judaism in that era. He's the person that you would have chosen to be the next up-and-coming leader to take on uh, the Roman oppression of the Jews or anything like that. There's lots of things you would have chosen Saul of Tarsus to do. But one thing that you wouldn't have chosen him to do is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You definitely would not have chosen him for that. And yet, what does God choose him for? That exact purpose. And so, yes, he was qualified, 
but not to do the job that God was asking him to do. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It is exactly what you've been talking about, um, Pastor John, is God uses people, unexpected people that we might look over. It's the whole concept of when Jesus came into this world, there was nothing about him that looked like a king. Um, where he was born and uh, his his family situation and, and, and all those things just didn't add up to him looking like a king. And and it comes back to the question like God can use um, everyone and anyone. And one of the actually, let's look at the time now. I, I have been um, really looking into this and one of the conversations um, that I've been having and it's to do with uh, the whole Black Lives Matter movement right now. Yep. And it started with um, this guy named George Floyd, right? Yeah. He he was um, pinned down by the cops and, uh, and, and this whole uh, uproar started because of this one event, right? And there's a lot of people that looked at George Floyd's life and said, like, why should we li- we lifting this guy up? Because he was a criminal. He did some things that was really bad in his life. And, and that just made me think straight away, God dropped this thought into my heart, which was like, just look at the Bible. How many people in the Bible that I used that were criminals, that murdered people, that um, uh, were terrorists, that uh, stole, that lied, that gossiped, they, that they did all kinds of sin in their life, but I chose them. And it wasn't for what they have done, it's because what I have done. I have given my grace, which is sufficient for all. Yeah. And it, it, go, it doesn't see what that person might have done in their life. But I, I choose because they are still my children. No matter who they are in the world, they're still my children. And the love I have for them um, exceeds what your mind can comprehend. And I was just like, wow, God, thank you for that revelation that sometimes I do need to come to a place and realize, wait, no matter who they are in this world, they're still a God's child and he can use um, anyone. No matter who you see out in the street, you might think, oh, man. How would God ever use this kind of person? Look at what they have done in their life. Look at where they are at. Yeah. Can God seriously use this person? And, you know, seeing that uh, George Floyd situation, that everyone probably around the world by now knows his name. Now, he himself, would he, he have ever thought that people around the world would know his name and that they would start this big... Uh, sort of protests and movement right now in, in a time like this. And it's probably something he could never comprehend. But I believe that God was showing me that God can use anyone, no matter who they are and what they have done, what their background is. And we see it time and time again. It's always the unexpected people that God uses and rises them up. Um, 
to, and like the Bible verse we we read, is to um, make people think, um, make people think uh, differently, that what you were thinking before wasn't what God actually thinks about. No, he used the foolish in the world to shame the wise, and the weak in the world to shame the strong. That's such a powerful thing that, you know, when when I I looked at myself, I was like, I'm weak in these areas. I'm weak in that areas. I can't possibly be someone who can get up there. I saw other people around me, and I saw saw them as strong people around me that they could do all this stuff. Why me? But then God chose to use me, and which I was really surprised by. And here I am, and I just I can look back and see this wasn't me. This was God all along. And and this is such a powerful thing. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you have done. None of those things matter. God can use you today. Are you willing to let Him use you? Are you submitting your life to God, saying? Hey God, here I am. I fully surrender. Um, use me, please, because, like um, you said earlier, uh, Pastor John, you you said about um, the the motive. What's the motive in your heart? And that brings me to another verse, James chapter four, verse two to three. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask. You do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures, and that's something um, that really hit me. That when we are asking God to use us, what are the reasons? Why do we want? Sometimes you might say, "Hey God, um, make me an engineer," or "Hey God, please use me uh, for ministry. I want to be an evangelist." What is the motive in your heart? Are they um, for your own pleasures, or they are genuinely um, for God's kingdom? And that's what we need to get right in our heart. Why are we doing what we're doing? Let's check our own selves and see. Okay, God, if you want to use me, I need to get my heart right in this area about this. So, in that, what you're saying, Shane, you've got sort of a, a contrast even in what you're saying because. What you're saying is right. God can use anyone. And you've, you've quoted from Corinthians. There's other scriptures as well that talk about we have this treasure in earthen vessels where it's clear that we are not worthy to carry the treasure, but we've got to make sure that it's the treasure that we're offering people. Um, and and all of that sort of thing. But also you've you sort of leaned into, but if you do want God to use you, these are some of the things that you need to get your heart right about this and you need to have this attitude. And so that that's actually where the whole contrast comes here, because as a you know as we've sort of talked about, God uses the least qualified often, but also God expects and requires perfection. And so if that's you look right. at First and Second Timothy and Titus, all three of those, where Paul gives a list of leadership qualifications to people who are pastoring churches, saying if people want to be leaders in your church, this is the standard that they need to live up to. And, you know, we could go through that list. That's not actually the focus right now, but we could go through that list. And normally there's at least one or two things on that list that will challenge most people. And, you know, the attitude of the heart, but also some uh, external activities that you might be doing that might also disqualify you or or make it difficult. 
Um, and, and so then there's this contrast that to be qualified to be used by God and, uh, you know, the, the standard that that requires, we can actually point to some characters in the Bible who were rejected because they didn't live up to whatever standard it was that God wanted after they were already in leadership. And so we can look at Moses who missed out on going into the promised land missed out on leading the yeah. children of Israel into the promised land because there was what seems to be a really small issue that most of us would never get the opportunity to fail that test because we're not ready for it. And God wouldn't bring that test in. All it was seemingly was that he was so frustrated with everyone else's determination not to obey God that he got he struck out in anger and hit a rock with a stick. And that was the yeah. thing that seems to have cost him his opportunity to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, if it came down to one moment of anger being enough to disqualify us from being used by God, most of us are out. You know, I, I've got a slightly damaged toe still some 15 years later because my lawnmower wouldn't start. And there's a whole circus that went on following after that. But I eventually broke my toe. Uh and, uh, you know, I've already said lovely things about my wife, so I won't tell that whole story. Um, but, uh, you know, in that moment, my anger cost me the good use of my big toe on my right foot. And, and so now for the rest of my life, there's a slight problem with that toe. It's not quite straight. And every now and again, it, it gets painful when the weather changes because I lashed out in anger and that was before I'd even had the opportunity to really do much for God. And so if I was disqualified in the same way that Moses was, then my whole life, the whole rest of my life would be without purpose. And so I, I read that story and it concerns me, this person who goes down in, uh, in mythology and, and history, both as an incredible leader and possibly the greatest prophet to come out of Israel before the birth of Christ was disqualified for something that most of us do every day. Yeah. And his destiny was shortened. Um, you know, we, we look at Jonah who was actually qualified. He was a prophet. He was a recognized prophet and he was called to go and do a task and he failed. And at the point where he was now completely unqualified, not only because he'd rejected God and God's calling, but also because he'd uh, demonstrated uh, horrible attitudes to certain groups of people and the people that were around him that were trying to help him. He was also now unqualified because he's been thrown over the boat and he's going to die in the ocean. And God rescues from that and calls him again. And so in that moment, you go, well, surely what Jonah did is what is worse than what Moses did. And yet Jonah is redeemed in that story and Moses is left out in the cold. And so you look at that yeah. and you go, what actually is God's qualification? What is it that God says we have to be like? And so, you know, I, I when I was preparing for this, I took down a few notes of things that, uh, that might disqualify us. And I've written down pride and disobedience are two things that we don't generally talk about much in uh, these days in church life, but they're some of the really big ones. And the other thing I wrote down, which uh, you know, it's interesting that we ended up in Revelation chapter three today. The other one that I've written down is being lukewarm, is something that actually ends up being a disqualification. Uh, that that 
in in that particular verse, he says, you know, because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And these are people who have wealth and they have health and they have prosperity and they have influence. And yet God says, none of that matters. You're lukewarm. You're out. And so you look at that and then you look at some of the things that God looks for when he's looking for a servant, when he's looking for someone uh, who can do his will. And it's someone who's willing to stand in the gap on behalf of someone else. Someone who walks with integrity, someone who has humility, someone who has hunger, someone who's willing to sacrifice, someone who has compassion on other people, someone who's willing to serve, someone who has a dependence on God and a belief in both God and people. And, you know, the the whole concept that when you look at those sort of qualifications, you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you look at all of the different instructions that the Bible gives us, the standards, the law, that it says, this is who you need to be. Be holy just as God is holy. And you look at all of that and you go, no one can live up to that. And I think part of being used by God is actually recognizing no one can live up to that. And so you yeah. have Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He comes in and he has this apocalypse where he sees the throne room of God and, and he sees the, the train of God's robe filling the temple. And, and in all of that, he just suddenly realizes, as a prophet, I should not be here. I am unholy, and this is going to kill me, being in God's presence. And then God sends the angel with the fire, from the, the, the coal from the fire, and he touches Isaiah's lips. And all of a sudden, in that, in that instant, Isaiah becomes qualified to be God's mouthpiece. Yeah. And you, I look at that, and, and I think, how does someone go from being unqualified to being qualified and we want it to be a training course and we should go you know study the bible we you know we think about going to bible college or things like that and and they're things that should be done they're good things but when you read the scripture the thing that qualifies people above anything else is god coming and saying i choose you and the thing that then disqualifies people after that is that at some point after God's been using them and after they've been on that journey of God increasing their skills and their understanding and their dependence on him and all of those things are making them more and more effective, is they then say, I'm good now, God. I can do this on my own. I don't need you anymore. So uh, in my life, I have you know, known everything that Pastor John has just talked about, that I don't want to be a person that gets disqualified for something. I don't actually want to make a wrong move in life. Like, that's something that I strive for. I want to get things right. I'm one of those people who will wait on God until I know and I know for sure this is God and there's the direction I want to go because I, I don't want to be a person that gets, you know, derailed or goes away from the purpose of God and actually not fulfill everything that God has for me. And I know I'm I'm on like, um, you know I I walk this I feel like I've walked this like on on top of a cliff almost like that if I make one wrong move I could just fall down, and I I strive for that I I want to be the person that gets it right, and in striving for that there's many times I have actually got it wrong, and yes I strive for perfection, but then there's times when I do make mistakes, and. I do get things wrong and I found that that God has this amazing grace uh for me and 
and in that time i'm just like thank you god um even though i have failed or i have went in a different direction that you wanted me to go but i i trusted you and you still are with me it's not like you have left me because yeah. i have made a wrong turn you're still with me sometimes even your pride gets in the way and you like oh this is it this is the answer to things and that might also cost you in in a lot of different things and then you you walk on self because self is something that comes in all the time you want to it's easy to go oh yeah this is right i can do this this is more achievable and that's something that you know god if you if you look at the bible and if you look at all the bible stories god presents something to people that they go oh wow yeah this is this is something i never thought of this is a way i can't think anyway god wants to do something this crazy now then as a human being i have an expectation i i know wait a minute this doesn't line up this will take a miracle for this to happen so i do get a choice to either obey god in this or not and as soon as i don't obey god think man this is too impossible this task ahead it, it just doesn't make sense it doesn't fit into the world that i live in parting the ocean doesn't i don't see that happen yeah um healing a sick when was the last time i saw that um or raising the dead when was the last time i saw that these are some things that doesn't make sense to me but when if god speaks hey you can do this it becomes a task then we fight against flesh saying i feel like i heard this from god but then my flesh is saying something completely different that this is not possible yeah and and it's a it's a fight battle like do i completely trust in god to use me for this task or not because god always presents something that always feels impossible for us and the reason for that is god wants to get all the glory for it yeah. he wants you to look back and see hey you couldn't do this on your own you needed me i didn't need you but you needed me and he wants to show us that he's the father that is always there for his kids he wants the best for his kids and the only way he can give uh his best is if you actually say you know what if this is impossible my god can do this my dad can do this and so i can trust him in this fully and and let him use me in this and some people get afraid and they never try things and what one of the things that i i love saying to people hey strive for the best believe for bigger things and the the thing you can believe you can believe for something small and it will happen awesome but what if you believe for something bigger than what you're believing for right now and that happen wouldn't that be amazing stop believing for things that you think are achievable believe for something that is not achievable and if god does it you can say wow that was a amazing miracle and if he doesn't you'll settle for less anyway you'll get what you were achieving for anyway so why not actually go and dream bigger and and let god use you for bigger things and pray for bigger things rather than oh yeah i'm good at this so i'm going to go with this career path in my life i'm 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 good at that so i'm going to uh strive everything i've got i'm going to just going to put it in that what if god wants to use you for something that you have never thought of doing in your life or never thought you as a person could be possible at doing like 
I know Pastor John, if, if God comes to you and I tomorrow and says, you guys going to be singers, <laughs> I, would, I would laugh at God just like you did. Yeah. And because we know we don't have great voices, right? We know that's something that's very impossible because we're just not singers. We're not just gifted that way. But if, if God came and said that, even though it seems impossible, we at some point we have to say, am I going to trust this or not? That's right. If I'm not going to trust this, it's never going to happen. But if I trust this and I give it a go, and if it happens, imagine how God can use that. And we probably then won't be doing a podcast. We might be releasing albums. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you heard it here first on Asking Better Questions with John and Shane. We're going to be uh, releasing a singing album. Look, look out for that in all the places where you're currently downloading the podcast. No, we're, we're not planning to do that. That was a hypothetical as well. God hasn't spoken that. Um, but yes, Shane, what you're talking about there, uh, I, I think one of the things that is in the middle of that is what is God's plan? What is it that God's yeah. planning for me? And I think, you know, a lot of the times when we hear that question we start thinking, what does God want me to do? And we probably don't have time to go down the rabbit hole that I'm about to open up on this topic. Uh, we probably need to bring it to a close. But I, I would like to pose the question in the middle of that, what is it that God wants me to be rather than what is it that God wants me to do? And when I look at the scripture, to me, the, the measurement of success and the measurement of failure that we have in our society and even in a lot of our church culture is not based on the same things that God calls success or failure in the scripture. And, and so people who seem to achieve nothing in their life, God looks back on their life and says, that's a success. They were good. They were my people. And then other people who seem to be achieving things, God looks at them and says, no, that's a fail. And so, so the question then is not about, yes, there is things that God will ask us to do, but his goal almost always is to make you into something, to make you be something rather than to do something. And so I'd like to leave that as the open-ended question as we close our podcast, as what does God want you to be in your life? So thanks for listening to Asking Better Questions with John and Shane. We'll be here again uh, next time discussing another question. And we hope you can send us in your questions to Podcast at gmail.com. Have a blessed day.